one of the challenges that we have as believers is you and I know that there is something better coming. I mean, if you just, if you hadn't figured it out, just go back and read in Revelation. You, it gives you a peep into what's, what's really coming. And one of the challenges that we have is that while passing through this life as a believer, knowing that, Miss Teresa, we can't let ourselves become emotionally overwhelmed with things that's not happening and not working in our lives and in the world. Sometimes the enemy uses things and circumstances to pretty much weaken us or to cause us to begin to doubt different things or just try to rob us of our joy and our peace. You know, when you really look at it, the bottom line is all of this is about to fade away because God has the final word. I don't care who gets in that White House. I don't care what's happening with Chung, Young, Bung, Lung, whatever this guy's name. It doesn't matter what's going on in Iran. I mean, it does, but I mean, in the grand scope. Somebody say grand scope. In the grand scope of things, guys, God has not relinquished this just to go some other way. He is still tightly controlling all of this stuff. And if we have entrusted our souls into his hands, we know he's going to work everything out. He may not just, you know, uh, consult with you as you would like him to. Because if he had a conversation with Job and uh, conversating with Satan over Job, he should have sent Job an email, a text message. But he, he really didn't do that. But I think the big thing here is the trust factor. Lord, I don't know how you're doing what you're doing, but I know you're doing something. And according to your word, according to your word, it's going to go your way. And let every atheist and every agnostic and every Buddhist and every Muslim and every other religion out there, and even those that are confused, sus. <laughs> they're going to bow their knee and confess that he's Lord. We know that. So just want to encourage you to let you know, guys, you know, hold on, be encouraged. Jesus Christ sees where we are. He, he has a timetable. He knows what's, what he's doing, knows what the Father is doing. And, uh, man, you, you just got to wake up in the morning and just smile and say, Father, I thank you for life. And I ask that you go before me in my day. And regardless of how it goes, I'm still going to give you glory. Amen? Father, we thank you tonight, and we ask that you will visit us in your word, that you will speak to us. Our mind is alert, our hearts are receptive to the truth of your word, and I submit to the power of the Holy Spirit to only speak those things that are true according to the sovereign plan in your word. God, we thank you. That every time we open the word of God, we are beholding the face of God and the beauty of his holiness. And Father, let us leave this place unlike the way we came in, knowing we've drawn closer to you and we have another level of your truth. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. And amen. Well, we're going to take a look at um, uh, in John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. This has to do, actually, if we've been looking at it, um, studying the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, 
I don't know if Pastor Ben may have asked this question, but I want to ask you some questions tonight. So we'll just do this interactive thing. You know, just, now remember, as a teacher, don't make me send you to an uh, administrative client's office. <laughs> I know you got some slips back there. <laughs> okay. Um, you've read the story of Lazarus. From a human perspective, not necessarily a Christian perspective, because we all know what's really going on. But from a human perspective, when you read the story of Lazarus from the beginning when he gets the word, what are some of the things that challenges a person with that story? With, what are some of the elements that challenges people with everything that happened in that story? Give, give me some, some things that could challenge, let's just say a non-believer. All right, right here. So my question to you is, why do you felt he should have moved when he, when he got the news? Hmm? To see his power move? Okay, and that question is based on the fact that I'm asking you based on you know the story. Okay, someone else, in light of what he said, or what are some of the other challenges that a non-believer would have with this story? All the way in the back, the lady with the... The fact that he could do something about it, okay, and he stayed. All right, right here, young man. Okay, and what is it about raising him from the dead that a non-believer, an unbeliever would have a problem with? <laughs> I, I asked for that. The fact that he's dead, obviously. Yeah, okay. Someone else, looking at this story, what struggles would an unbeliever have with this story if they read it and you were sitting in the presence with them? Yes, ma'am. He was dead for four days. And so, obviously, what are you implying, the fact that he's dead for four days? What are you implying from that? Okay, he's very dead. What's the use in coming now? Okay, why are you coming now? You know, he's, he's, he's a goner. As we say, stick a fork in him. He's done. Okay, good, good. Someone else. Give me one or two more. All right, right here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Assuming that that unbeliever don't know much about the other miracles. Assuming. Right, assuming. Okay, good, good. Yes, sir. (laughs) That's the biggie right there. If you say you care enough about me, why didn't you show up at the hospital when I went in? Because in this story, what is interesting in the beginning of the story, a lot of, lot of readers would question Jesus' love for Lazarus, okay? Now, we navigate all the way down to John chapter 11, verse 38 through 44. Let's go ahead and read that, those passages of Scripture. Go ahead and put that up. I'm so glad we got two screens now. Man, that's just amazing. I, I, guys, I got to tell you, I look really, really foolish when I went to turn to the screen. There was nothing there. I was like, well, we got you. Okay, here we go. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and uh, it was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister 
uh, of the the dead man said unto him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor or a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Wow. Is it possible that the reason why he stayed was for that? Go back to that, 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 that last verse, that verse again. Was it possible the reason why he stayed was because of the latter part of verse 42? That they may believe that you sent me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a look at him. Now, number one, what truths can we pull out of this particular message? We know the story. There are three truths we want to pull out of this. Number one, when we look at all of this, these uh, passages of Scripture, Number one, Jesus enters the pains of human suffering. Jesus enters the pain of human suffering. Have you ever, have you had anyone to tell me, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through? And your spouse don't count. Anybody had anybody to tell them? Anybody told someone that you just don't understand? Okay, here's a question. You're trying to empathize with this person. You're trying to feel, felt, found. And then they just tell you, you don't understand. What do you, what do you think they're implying when they say, well, you just don't understand? What is the implication there? What are they implying? Right here. <coughs> they don't care. Okay. Someone had the hand up right here. You've never been through it. Okay, so how would you know? Because the first thing that's, well, have you ever been? To, no. Well, how would you know? Someone else, what is the implication? You just, yeah. Oh. Huh? You don't know how I feel. Hmm. Can, based on this one point, can we say that about Jesus? Can we? Hmm? No. Now, he was all God and all man. Jesus enters the pain of human suffering. Isn't it interesting that we see human suffering every single day of our awakening moment, of our lives? And, you know, for a moment we may be touched with emotion. But when that tragedy comes to our doorstep, it changes us. We have a different perspective on it. It touches our emotions deeper because now that pain becomes personal. Because now, while we would love to stay on the outside, we can't because now it has moved me closer to this tragedy. And that was the reason why Jesus came here. And we're going to navigate through this. How, what's the truth here? Jesus entered the pains and human suffering. Let's look at verse 38. Watch this. How do we know that Jesus entered into the pain of the suffering of this family? It says in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, which means that that, there was something else going on that attached him to this death. And we see him moved again. 
He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Look at John chapter 11, verse 32 through 35. Watch this. Jesus enters into this human suffering. He, 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 make, he connects himself to this story, to this tragedy. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, he saw she and saw him. She fell at his feet, saying to him, now, let me stop right there so that we could understand. Now, most of the times when we see this, the falling at the feet of Jesus, it has a reference sometime of us falling at his feet to worship him. But that's not what was going on here. She did not fall at his feet to worship him. She fell at his feet because she was distressed. That's what this falling at his feet meant. So when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come also with her weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. There it is again. He identifies with what's going on. You know, he didn't show up at the scene and see Mary crying and Martha crying. Everybody's, and he's looking like, why are you guys crying? <laughs> you can't, you, I can't believe it. I am God. Just wipe it. No, because he was deeply moved. He identified with this human suffering. One of the things I want... I try to stress to people when they're Christians and believers, when they're in a time of grief, in a time of suffering. And I know for some, it brings joy and brings a little bit of peace. But others, it brings a a little bit of agitation. When you hear, you know what? Jesus has not forgotten you and he knows what you're experiencing. But what happens is most of us think that if he knows what I'm going through, why does not he stop the pain? Because that's what she's saying here. If you knew he was sick, why didn't you come? And if you would have come, he wouldn't have died. One of the things I I looked at, I had Pastor Ben's notes from last week, was that our perspective or God's perspective is so much different than ours. Because he has his eye on the greater picture, on the bigger picture. We can only see just a small part of what God is doing right before us. And so our prayer is anytime you are going through something and you don't, you can't see it, you can't feel it, you don't know what's going to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you because you have a much higher perspective and you sit higher looking over all of this. So I'm going to trust you even though I cannot trace you. And so here, it says, now Mary came to him, fell at his feet, said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And here is where Jesus, we see this, this, this emotional connection with this This event, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. There's been a lot of commentaries about this this short verse about Jesus wept. Some said Jesus wept simply because he was moved out of compassion because he saw his friend die. But he didn't weep because he was helpless. 
Another commentary says, Jesus wept because as the creator of all life in which he created perfect, he saw the totality of sin and what sin has done to his creation and it troubled him deeply. Now, just to give you an understanding uh, uh, of what I just said, imagine this. I'm going to give you an illustration. Imagine you sent your son or daughter off to college in a, you know, another state. And all of a sudden, you don't hear from them six weeks, seven weeks, three months, four months. That's enough to put you on alarm. And so you send out an APB and you call the, the school and the school says, we haven't seen your son or daughter. And it's just driving you bananas. And so regardless of how far they are, you're going to take a plane, a train, a go a boat. You're going to take something and you're going. And you're driving all over this city. The police say we haven't seen it. And you're just like, you are just frazzled. And all of a sudden, you're driving in a very, very not so safe part of town. And you're driving down the street and you just happen to get a glance at an alley, a person sitting in an alley. And it sort of looks for me. But out of hope, you're just praying that that looked like my child. But I hope it's not. And you back up and then you pull over to the curb and you get out the car. And then you walk up and you go, Ron? And his body is stink and the clothes are just dirty and filthy. And that person looks up and it's your son. Can you imagine what that would do to you? That's what I believe would made Jesus weep and was so deeply troubled was he saw what perfection looked like. He saw what he created for us. But then because of the choice to rebel against God, this is the sum total of our choices. And like any parent, you know that's not how you raised your child. You raise your child to make better choices. And so all you want to do is grab this child, regardless of how they smell or whatever, and just grab them and bring them home and clean them up. You're not ready to say, why are you so staying? I've been trying to fight. No, you will never do that. Because all you want is to clean that child up and get that child to safety. And this troubled Jesus. He said, because this was not the, this was not the way it was supposed to be in the beginning. Amen. Jesus wept. Jesus entered into our pain, the pain of human suffering. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll look at it in the uh, English Standard Version. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Leave it right there. Leave it right there. Notice, and the word became what? And what did it do? It dwelt among us. One version says, and he pitched his tent among us. Now, interesting, pitched his tent among us. If you're staying next door and you have a neighbor, you pretty much really don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You really don't know your neighbor other than what they allow you to see in the, in the public eye. And when they, how you doing, neighbor? Good, fine. Hey, everything's going well. But when you move in with them, you get a whole perspective, different perspective on what's going on in that house. Anybody ever had relatives to move in? And they have relatives still there. <laughs> you have no clue what's going on next door. Oh, you may hear some things. You may hear some sounds, some noise. 
But it is only when you move in that house, you get the full perspective of what's going on in that house. The Bible said that, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent. He moved in with us. Now, I know there are some neighbors that you're thinking, man, I ain't never wanted to move in with them people. But you understand all of the stuff and all of the things that that we do and who we are did not frighten Jesus to become us. Now, look at the New Living Translation. It says this. So the word became what? The word became human. Made his home among humanity. Us. He was full of unfailing love and what? Faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Coming among us did not change his divinity. What it did was it exposes his love and faithfulness to us by pitching his tent. The purpose for living among us and, and, and becoming us was so that he would understand who we are, we would see the glory of the Father, and then by becoming us, we could become him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory as the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, how many times have you ever heard someone say, when they're going through something, say, well, let me pray for you, and they'll say stuff like, I tried prayer, it don't work. Anybody ever had someone tell you that? Yeah. Anyone ever said that? Maybe. Or have you heard this? Jesus don't understand, and he just don't care. And there's nothing he can do. He is so far out there, so, you know, I'm just down here trying to survive on my own. I got a great passage of Scripture for those who are struggling with that in your family. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 in the King James. Jesus entered the pains of human suffering. That's the truth that we see in the story. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Seeing that we have a great what? That has done what? Pass into the heavens. Jesus, John says, or Hebrews says, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. Here we go. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our, what? The feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Now, verse 15 is loaded. Verse 15 is loaded. Let's look at it. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Regardless of what the enemy tells you, he feels what you feel. But watch this. But in all points, tempted as like we are. All points, tempted. Lust of the flesh, point one. Lust of the eye, point two. And the pride of life, point three. Those three points are the sum total of every temptation in a human being's life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the the eye, and the pride of life. What got Eve in trouble? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. What gets us in trouble often? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He was tempted in all those 
point. But guess what, what, what can we say about our high priest? He what? He did not sin. He did not sin. Watch this. If he did not sin, being tempted in all points, he comes back and tells us, I will make a way for you to escape. I will make a way for you to escape. Interesting scripture found in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 through 11. Jesus entered to the pain of something. I, I tell young people this all the time. I say, guys, you have to be careful who you hang out with. How many of you have ever told your ch- children as they were growing up? Let me see your hand. Okay. There's not a single parent in here just absolutely did not care what knuckleheads your children hung out with. I know not in this building. We'd often tell our children, be careful who you hang out with. Why? Because they can influence you. You become what you hang out with. You assimilate what you hang out with. Isaiah brings a very interesting twist to this. In Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verse 1 through 11, look what he opens up. He says, first of all, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom he has, had, whom has the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like the root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now notice just in the first two verses, Isaiah is revealing something 700 years before it would actually take place. And what he's revealing is that this person that he's speaking about is now here among us and we're able to see him. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and was one, and, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried what? He bore our grief and he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Stay right there. And he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus identifies himself with human suffering. He said, Father, whatever it is, because of the sin, place it upon me so that they will not feel the judgment of your holiness. If this is not good news to the world, I don't know what is. Because just when you thought you've seen human suffering at a level that makes you shake your head, I promise you when the sun sets and rise again, hold on, you're going to see another level of suffering and another level of pain. But what, what truth do we see from this? That Jesus Christ identifies, he enters into the sufferings and the pain of humanity. Number two, what's another truth we can look at in this passage of Scripture? Jesus has removed the stone of sin that had us bound. He removed the stone of sin that had us bound. Look, look, look at John chapter 11, verse 39 to 42. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time, There will be an odor or he will stink for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And go back to verse 39. Jesus said, take the stone away. What did the stone represent? The stone represent the finality of a person's life. The stone placed in front of the tomb was the conclusion or the loss of all hope. That there is nothing else to be done. Back in the day, uh, they used to stick these Uh, Dead bodies of loved ones in a cave, three and four at a time, and just put a stone there. That stone represents the time when Mary and Martha decided there is nothing else to be done. Now, what is interesting in this story was that Martha said, well, I know he will rise in the end. So she didn't lose total hope in he will be raised at one point, at some point. But she struggled with this resurrection when? Now. How many times have we concluded that if it didn't happen, it won't happen up to this point? The challenge we have, Pastor Clyde, with getting older is that we actually believe when it comes down to God that somehow if it didn't happen for me when I was in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, now that I'm in my 50s, 60s, and 70s, I've already put a stone in front of what he has already showed me early in my life, and I've placed a stone there. You just need to know there is no age in God. Last time I checked, word, the word, a, a man was 100 years old and a girl was 90-something when he got the word that they was going to have a baby. No, don't get scared. I see one lady, oh, are you kidding me? 
Age is nothing to God. One of the things I love about this church, and I, I'm going to say this. One of the things I love about this church is the, 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 the age, the number of ages, the plethora of ages, the number of ages of people that attend this church. This is absolutely amazing. This is not indicative of every church. Sometimes you have, you go to certain churches where you have all young people and then the older people are not there, more mature people are not there, or you have the older ones and the young ones not there. And so, but what you see is a gathering of people of all ages in this church that's making this Jesus thing work. That's making this Jesus thing work. Amen? Man, I, let me tell you something. I, I'm going to be 57. I'm turning 57. And, you know, I, I am not going out without kicking and screaming. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to do it. I truly believe I'm going to run up down the floor, better shoot my jump shots, and do all the stuff that I used to do when I was 25 but a little slower. I'm not going out like that. I, you know, when I was young, I used to look, I, in my perception, I saw 50-something as this. I did. I did. I thought 50 was just over the hill, you know, never get her done. You are just done. Now that I've, I've arrived at 56, turning 57, I'm thinking, man, man get the cane out the way. Man, I'm out there running up down the floor. I'm blowing whistles. I'm out there doing all this stuff. I'm like, man, I am having the time of my life. For any one of you that hadn't turned 50 yet, you don't have a clue. It is amazing. It is so liberating being over 50. And I would have thought that everybody with 50 would have just like, yeah, yeah. Am I telling the truth? Where my 50-something crowd at? Wow. It ain't over. It's not over. And so we put the stone in front of things. We retire. Like, thank God I put my 30 years in. I always mess with Bill. I said, Bill, how it feels to be retired? Dude, I'm still working. I'm enjoying it, but man, I just, I got stuff I'm doing, but it gives you the opportunity to hang out with that lovely wife. Y'all do a little traveling. The kids are gone. I'm still waiting for my kids to get gone. They came back. The stone for in this story represented the fact that it was over. When Adam and Eve bit of the fruit, the stone was rolled between us and God. And it looked like it was over. Done. Humanity's done. Stick a fork in us. There is no hope. But Jesus. Jesus shows up. Y'all don't hear me. Jesus shows up. He came through the volume of the book. And one night a girl was just walking outside and had an angelic visitation. Hail Mary, the Lord is with you. You're about to give birth to Emmanuel, God with us. And guess what he's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to roll back the very thing that has been stopping you from coming out of the grave. Yeah, you died, but he's about to bring you life. He's about to bring you life. Wow. He told her, take 
the stone away. He commanded her to take the stone away. Let's look at verse 39. I like that. It says, Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by by this time uh, there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God so that they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but I say on this account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. In Romans chapter 5, verse 14 through 19, I want you to see this. Jesus moved the stone of sin that had us bound. He moved the stone of sin that had us bound. Let me get this question before we get to Romans. What are some of the things in a person's life or even in your life that became a stone or a stumbling block that kept you from Jesus Christ? Anybody? Yes, Renee. Huh? Religion. The stone of religion kept you from Jesus Christ. The stone of religion kept you going to church, but it kept you from Jesus. And so you were bound up. Someone else. All the way here. Huh? Oh, not the P word. Pride. Pride kept me from Jesus, kept me in grave clothes. And the crazy part about it, pride, did, you didn't even know you were bound because you felt you were fine. Someone else. Right here. Huh? Judging. Yeah. Comparison. I'm good. I'm my mama's best son. I'm good. I don't know. It kept you in your grave clothes. One or two others. What kept you bound at that rock in front of you? Huh? Ignorance. Didn't know. Do you know there's a difference between stupidity and ignorance? For example, man driving down the road. Okay? He gets to the bridge. Gets at the top. There's a gaping hole open. This man drives over the top of the bridge, plummets to his death. Second man, okay? Same bridge, same bridge. Some things change. Two miles before he gets to the bridge, there's a sign that said, bridge out, turn around. But he keeps going. Same result. He drives up, falls over, plummets to his death. What's the difference? The first man died with ignorance. He had no information. The second man was strictly stupid. He had information. And did the same thing. You simply didn't know. But that's where the mercy of God, because now, guess what? You're sitting here, now you know. What is the truth here we see? Jesus has removed the stone of sin that had his bound. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 14. It says this. Yet, here we go. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Who was a What? A type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the, 
by the grace of that one man whom Jesus abound to many, for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one's trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For it, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus. Notice what he's doing. One man, one man, through one man, one man. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. And what? And what? For who? All men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Jesus himself once again moved the stone. He rolled the stone away. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22 says this. Watch this. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the what? The dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What did he do? He himself once again showed up in time and moved the stone away. Now, what's going to be interesting is, if you know anything about this story, this was the the miracle that pretty much sealed the deal for Jesus. Y'all know that, right? You know that? Yeah, they they just like, you know what? Find out where he is. We've got to find out where he is. And wherever he is, we're going to arrest him. This was the the miracle. And he knew that. He knew that. But it's not going to be many days in the future that there will be a stone rolled in front of his grave. They tried to seal it, put a seal on it. Foolish humans. Foolish humans. After the third day, the Bible says, and he rose from the dead. There was nobody that came and says, Jesus, come forth. Stone roll. No, Jesus says, I got this. (laughs) He said, I got this. I just need to let you know who I am through this. So that when you heard, get the news that I'm gone and then put a stone, he's like, ah, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He called somebody else from the grave, had them roll the stone. Don't y'all sleep on him. Don't you go to sleep on this man. Wow. Look at Luke chapter 23, verse 46. When Jesus commanded, he said, Lazarus, roll the stone, and Lazarus come forward. Look what it says in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, what did he do? He breathed his last. How did he remove the stone of sin? He himself became the substitute. He himself allowed himself to die. He said with a loud voice, 
Father, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. I want you to see this because this is the most amazing thing. He was scourged, which most men did not survive. He was beaten. His body was torn. He had thorns placed on his head. He carried an old rugged cross up and down a cobblestone up a hill to Golgotha's hill. He had spikes placed in his wrists, spikes in his feet, and a spear shoved up in his side. And he said, it's time to go. Did y'all get that? He said, it's time to check out. Nothing they could have done to him would have made him says, okay, it's time to go. Nothing they did. He says, I'm going to declare it. Just like days before, I told Lazarus to come forth and he came. Whatever God has promised to you in his word, when his words speak to you, you just need to know it's going to happen. Just like he said it was. Wow. Loud voice and he gave it up. The third truth we see, and it's not final truth, which is the, the sum total of it, Jesus alone has power over death. Jesus alone has power over death. John chapter 11, verse 43 and 44 says this. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, I'm going to stop right there. I, I, I don't know if you all remember this guy, this, this guy named Carmen. He was a singer. How many of you guys remember Carmen? Yeah. He had a song called, I think it was saying Sunday's on the way. Um, and he was talking about this. So he had this song in which Lazarus had died and Lazarus was talking to Moses and, and Moses was saying, yeah, I knew him on the, on Mount Sinai. And he was talking about Shadrach, uh, Lazarus talking to Shadrach, Meshach and began to say, yeah, I, I saw him when he came in the fire and they know he had another talk. And all of a sudden uh, he, in the song, Carmen's song, Lazarus says, yeah, I may not have known him in the fire. I didn't see him in the bush, but you know what? He ate at my house. He, he know me personally. And, and, and just the fact that the simple way he called my name and all of a sudden, wait, 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 wait. I think I hear him now. Lazarus. Y'all remember that song, don't you? I love that song. Lazarus. Lazarus said, excuse me, pardon me. I, I, he just called me. I got to go. Good visit with y'all. I got to go. And he cried with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Another version says, loose this man and set him free. Can you imagine? I want to take you back. You're sitting in a service. Your life is a wreck. Your life is a mess. But something's different about this service. Something's different about this message. 
Because as the longer you sit, the more your heart is starting to pound and beat out of your chest. And something is starting to happen to you. And at the altar call, it may not have been in church. It may have been the car. I don't know where you guys say. All of a sudden, you responded to the voice of the Holy Spirit's call. Come to the Father. Come to the altar. And you came because you heard the call and you responded. And I love what it says. And when they rolled the stone back, he called Lazarus. One commentary says he had to say Lazarus because if he had said, come forth, everybody that was dead would have came out. Lazarus, come forth. Now, you would think, Pastor Clyde, that if Jesus had the power to raise him from the dead, that, I mean, let's just go ahead and do the finished work. That when he called Lazarus, come forth that the grave clothes would have fallen off and he'd have come strutting out in a three-piece suit with some nice, you know, some, some shiny shoes. But guess what? He came out when he heard the voice of God in the condition that he was in. And many of us heard the voice of God and came to him in the condition that we were in, bound in a lot of stuff. And guess what? Jesus says, I'm going to loose you and set you free. I'm going to loose you of those grave clothes. Your past life is a reminder of what used to bind you. Your past troubles, those stones you had kept, kept, kept you from Jesus, is a reminder how God loved you and the, the grace of God kept you. In John chapter 11, verse 21 through 26, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But Jesus, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, woman, no, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? I know he will rise in the future. He says, no, I am the resurrection. I am. He didn't say, I was the resurrection. I will be the resurrection. He says, I am. So, baby, if you need the resurrection now, I am. <laughs> Show me where you laid him. Show me where you laid him. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 says, for this reason, the father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may pick it up again. You see, only the master of life can lay it down and pick it back up. So when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection, I can only imagine. How many of you, you guys in here love those old Western movies, the shoot 'em ups the John Waynes and the Clint Eastwood? Uh, you feel lucky today, punk, do you? You know, the, you, you love the OK, the ballad OK Corral. Am I out here by myself? Yeah. I, guys, I, I love those old guys. They got the poncho, they got the short cigar, they got the sombrero, and you got the music. And boy, and they stand in there, bow-legged, dusted in the pants, they got the chaps, and all of a sudden the guy just pulls the thing back, and right there, and he just, 
And they're looking at standing down, you about to die tonight, varmint. And all of a sudden, boy, and they go to ground, and I was like, and, and they just stand there just to intensify. Can you imagine when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb? Here was death. Death says, you ain't got nothing for me, man. Jesus went, do you feel lucky today? <laughs> well, do you? Death didn't have a chance. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the... He says, I am the resurrection. Death, you can't hold what I speak to. (laughs) Watch this. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my what? Own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. And that there is absolutely nothing you can do but stand in the corner and ask for permission when I give it to you. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father Wow, Jesus has power over death. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, here's what it says. Because of God's children, because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Wow. That's the truth here. He was demonstrating to everyone, guys, I have authority over death. I'm going to show you twice. One, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do with Lazarus. And then number two, check me out three days after I die. And then three, watch those who have died be transformed by my power. Three strikes and you're out, Satan. Amen? Stand on your feet. Father, we thank you. These are your precious promises. These are your words. Thank you for showing us through these truths and this story that while we may place these visions and dreams of our lives in a cave and put a stone in front, you have the final word. Father, we thank you that we have the word of God to show us that we can have boldness and confidence in you and what you have said because it is all for the glory of the Father that we may believe. Father, we thank you. Build up our most holy faith and our trust in you. And Father, we thank you for all that is done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.